one and the same spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink the one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Andrew Peterson is uh, one of the great modern sages, really, of our day. Some of you might know of Andrew Peterson. He's a, a Christian a musician, singer-songwriter, as well as a poet and an author. And, and I love Peterson. He, he tells true stories. He tells true stories through his music and also through uh, his main piece of writing, which is this four-book fantasy series called The Wingfeather Saga. So if you uh, have not read The Wingfeather Saga, consider it my pastoral admonition to you to read it. It's a very helpful, wonderful, beautiful book. My oldest son, Nate, read these a while ago. And then Ben, my youngest and I just recently finished the final book. So they're highly recommended. The saga is about three siblings. Janner Igaby is 12 and Kalmar, his brother, is 11. And they have a younger sister named Lily, who's nine. And they're each wonderful characters. They're full of resonance they're full of depth. And, and as the story progresses, the reader discovers that they're not actually Igbees, but rather their last name is Wingfeather. They are the children of the king, the heirs of the throne of the great kingdom in this world, the kingdom of Anaria. So royal blood courses through the veins of these children. And the story tells us that because these children are royal, they've each been given certain gifts. Each of the three children has a distinct ability 
that becomes more and more evident as the story progresses and more and more important to the plot of the narrative. Janner sometimes hears voices. Kalmar, his brother, sees visions that are aligned with the voices Janner is hearing. And Lily can control and speak to animals and beasts like dragons. What good fantasy series doesn't have dragons? Um, She can speak to them through her singing and through her music. And and the climax of the saga involves, I'm not going to give it away, but it involves the Wingfeather children having to each use their distinctive gifts together to overcome evil and and to fulfill their purpose. Uh, Peterson, again, I think, tells the truth through songs and through stories in a way that's rare in our day. And, and the wingfeather children in so many ways represent the Christian experience, but specifically for our purposes this morning, they represent the experience of what we have been given if we're followers of Jesus. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, each one of us who have done so, we have royal blood flowing through our veins. We're sons and daughters of God the King. And because we are sons and daughters of the king, we're a part of the great kingdom of our world, the kingdom of God. And, and as the apostle Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, each one of us who's been connected to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith has been given gifts, gifts to use together to overcome evil, to fulfill our purpose. These gifts come from the Holy Spirit. And that is our topic today as we, as we wrap up this short series on the Holy Spirit. Remember, our main idea in this series has been that we would be a people that more love and worship and enjoy the Holy Spirit. We've seen that the Holy Spirit continues the mission and ministry of Jesus among us. He is our advocate. He is our teacher. He is our guide. We've seen that we are called to be filled with the Spirit, that we might grow together and mature. And and we've seen that the the Spirit, as we saw last week, he, he takes what we read on the pages of the Bible, he takes what we hear in sermons, and and he makes those truths real and vivid to our hearts. He assures us. He assures us that we indeed are God's children, that we are stunningly loved by God our Father. The work of the Holy Spirit is a beautiful thing for us to think about together. And today we conclude by learning that the Spirit gives gifts. The Spirit gives gifts to God's children so that they will each serve the common good of God's kingdom in their own distinct way. That's Paul's topic in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. Notice he opened chapter 12 by saying, now concerning or about spiritual gifts. Now, of course, we're not going to cover this topic in detail this morning. We're only going to summarize. So I want to jump in by giving you three points this morning that we'll discover through studying a little bit of 1 Corinthians 12. The purpose of spiritual gifts is our first point. The second is diversity, the diversity of spiritual gifts. And then lastly, the discovery. So the purpose, the diversity, and the discovery of spiritual gifts. So first, the purpose of spiritual gifts. Paul talks about that in this chapter. What is a spiritual gift? This is one of the best places in the Bible to learn. God, speaking through Paul's writing, gives us a definition. Look with me again in the chapter. In verse 7, we read, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
A spiritual gift is a ministry ability given by God the Spirit to all believers for the edification of the entire church. Let me repeat that. A spiritual gift is a ministry ability given by God the Spirit to all believers for the edification of the church. First, if you'll look in the passage, you'll see that to each, to each, verse 7, is given a gift. What does that mean? Every Christian, all believers receive not just a spiritual gift, but spiritual gifts, plural. A little later in the chapter, verse 13, Paul writes this, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether we were Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So the argument Paul's making in this chapter is that there is no such thing as a non-spirit baptized Christian. When we were converted, we were given the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit. And now we all, he says, drink from the one spirit. Therefore, Paul's argument is that it follows that if all of us have had the spirit poured out on us through faith in Jesus Christ, if all of us have been baptized with the one spirit of God, then all of us have been given gifts of God's spirit. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have an essential role to play in the church of Jesus Christ. You have been given gifts to each one has been given gifts. And a second thing to note is that they're just that gifts. Spiritual gifts are not spiritual duties, nor are they natural abilities. Spiritual gifts are gifts They're not things we naturally possess necessarily. They're things that come to us from the Holy Spirit. They are supernaturally bestowed. We do not earn them or deserve them. We are gifted them. And the intent is that we steward the gifts God has given us well. If you've been around for a few weeks, just a few weeks ago, we concluded our series on the stories of Jesus, Jesus's parables, by looking at the parable of the talents. You remember that story? It's the story Jesus tells about the wealthy man who goes away on a long trip and distributes, gives talents, which we saw are a large monetary unit of exchange, but represent finances, time, abilities, aptitudes, and yes, spiritual gifts. And to one servant, he gave 10. To another, he gave five. To another, he gave one. And we saw the point that Jesus makes in that wonderful parable is that the gifts God has given are meant for us to be used, meant to be used by us for the building up and edification of God's kingdom. So whether you've been given five talents or three talents or one talent, all of us bear the same responsibility to steward the gifts that God has given us well. You know, isn't it great? I mean, think about this, guys. Isn't it great that God has chosen in his love and wisdom to include you and me in his ministry to the world? God does not have to do that, you know? He doesn't have to use us to accomplish whatever he wishes to accomplish. He can do anything that pleases him in any way he chooses. But what do we see? We see that what God does is save us out of sin and death through the work of Jesus Christ. And then he doesn't stop there. He continues by equipping us to work alongside him for the healing and renewal of this world. 
His grace is what rescues us and his grace is what equips us with new purpose and new calling in our lives. How good is God? It's wonderful news. Every one of you has been given a gift. If you're connected to Jesus, they're just that, they're gifts. And then the last thing we see under the purpose of spiritual gifts is that they're for the edification of the whole church. Go back to verse 7. Paul, again, writes, Everyone is given the manifestation of the Spirit, and then here's the purpose clause, for the common good. And he continues later, as Jennifer read, with this long illustration about the human body. And his point, I think, is pretty self-evident, isn't it? Each part of the body is intended to be used for the good of the whole. And when each part of the body is working properly, the entire body is healthier as a result of it, correct? And conversely, when one part of the body is malfunctioning, no matter how small or seemingly insignificant that body part is, whether it's external or internal, the whole body lacks health as a result. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal was a very, very large basketball player uh, for a number of years in the 90s and, and early 2000s. And Shaq had, a, had an amazing NBA career. He's one of the greatest NBA players ever. I'll give you my definitive top 10 list after the sermon if you want to know it. Um, Shaq was, was a wonderful player. And uh, I remember in the 2004 season when he was with the Lakers, a little bit later in his career, he injured his toe. And you know, Shaq is a 350-pound just behemoth of a man who also was really a remarkably agile athlete for his size. And you would think, oh, he's just got a little toe injury. He's going to be fine. But it caused him to miss half the season. It turns out that when you're 350 pounds and you have a bad toe, it's hard to jump up and down on a basketball court repeatedly. Even the most seemingly insignificant body parts can derail our whole life experience, can't they? And Paul's saying that the same thing is true about spiritual gifts in Jesus's church. Every single one of us has been given a gift. They're to be used by us as gifts. And because they're for the edification of the entire church, all of them matter. Can I say this to you as we look at this first point? I, I think one of the main takeaways here, one of the main things I want you to hear and believe is that every Christian is in ministry. Every Christian is in ministry through the church. No Christian is merely a consumer of religious services. Everyone, rather, is a distributor. Everyone who has been baptized into one, the one body of Jesus by the Spirit is called to put the needs of others in the body ahead of their own needs. To, to put the needs of the community for the common good, ahead of their individual needs. So, so the Holy Spirit asks us, how do you see your role? Maybe here in this church now, if you call this church home, what is your function here? One of the great problems in the American church is to see our role as primarily to consume the services of others, not to serve others ourselves. I mean, that makes all the difference in our experience of a church community. We, we even have a term for it. You know the term church shopping. When you move to a new city, often people will come visit here and, you know, they don't mean this maliciously, but they'll say, oh, I'm, I'm church shopping. And what that means, 
can be really good. I'm looking for the right church where I can best use my gifts. But frankly, what it often means is I'm looking for the church that's best going to meet my religious and spiritual needs. And here's what you need to hear. That is antithetical to the entire warp and woof of 1 Corinthians 12 and the New Testament itself. And it speaks to our tendency, I think, towards a a consumer mindset. And I'm guilty of this just like you're guilty of this. What Jesus teaches us is really quite paradoxical. What Jesus says is that in serving the needs of others, we find real community. Some of us approach community and connection and friendship in the church as a consumer. We think the main goal is for us to get our community needs met here. And listen, listen, we do want your community needs to be met. We want you to have great friends. We want you to feel connected. But when you enter in to a church life thinking, people need to connect with me. And if they don't, I'm going to go find another church where people will connect with me. Or if you enter thinking, my primary objective here is to have my needs met by making friends and hearing good teaching and having all these services for my family. And those aren't inherently bad things. In fact, those are good things. But if that's your main goal, the paradox is you're actually not going to find what you're looking for. But, but, if you come with a servant mentality, thinking I need to use my gifts to better serve and edify this particular church, serving will draw you out of yourself into relationships. When you come only to get your needs met, you're you're in a solitary mode of existence. But when you reject the consumer mindset that so easily captivates us, we, we actually find what we're looking for, relationships. So, so paradoxically, if you serve primarily for the benefits to yourself, then A, it isn't really serving, and B, uh, you won't receive the benefits. <laughs> this all flows really from the paradoxical truth of the gospel, from the paradoxical way of Jesus. Mark 10, 45, Jesus himself did not come to be served. Jesus came to serve and to give his life away. So because Jesus served us in such a radical way, we are propelled and compelled by grace to have a joyful need to serve others. It's it's a form of praising Jesus to use your gifts for the edification of the entire church. That's the purpose of spiritual gifts, okay? Second, the diversity The diversity of spiritual gifts. So, a spiritual gift is a ministry ability given by God the Spirit to all Christians for the edification of the entire church. Now, I want you to see maybe the main idea in 1 Corinthians 12 is how diverse the different gifts are. Isn't it beautiful? A beautiful diversity that God has painted and woven into our life together. Look at what Paul writes, verse 4. Now there are varieties. You see the word? Varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Further, in the body illustration, a couple of verses later, Paul shows that it is the wide array of diversity of gifts that actually strengthens and promotes the unity of the body. Look at what he writes, verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? Eyes can't hear. 
If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Ears can't smell, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, gross, by the way, one big ear walking around, where would the body be? But as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. It's the very diversity that creates the oneness, the unity. So what exactly are these diverse spiritual gifts? I want to take a minute and talk through that with you. There's no one comprehensive list anywhere in the Bible. We see actually four different places in the New Testament where Paul or someone else gives us a list. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. Those are the four places. And there's all kinds of ways to break down the spiritual gifts in all of their diversity. I had a teacher in, in seminary that broke them down into three basic headings, and, and I still like this breakdown best. When we think about the diversity of gifts, I found it instructive, and I hope you will as well, to think of gifts in terms of three clusters. There are prophetic gifts, there are priestly gifts, and there are kingly gifts. First, there are prophetic gifts. Prophetic gifts are abilities based on understanding and articulating truth. Based on understanding and articulating truth. So if you have a prophetic gift, your gift is used to represent God to others. And those gifts are typically marked by things like boldness and, and clarity. So biblical examples of prophetic gifts are evangelism, Ephesians 4.11, which is the ability to help people believe. Uh, teaching. We see that here in verse 29, the ability to help people learn, speaking, 1 Peter 4, the ability to articulate in a compelling way, usually in, in public settings, um, knowledge, you see that there in verse 8, discerning spirits, verse 10. These are basically ways of talking about insight, the ability to tell the authentic from the false, prophecy, verse 10, Ephesians 4 which I would say is unusually dynamic or illumined truth-telling. Uh, a brief note here on, on the gifts of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Those would also be considered prophetic gifts, maybe even a mixture of prophetic and priestly gifts. I realize that's a controversial subject. If you want to hear my thoughts on that, come talk to me privately. So, so there's prophetic gifts, abilities based on understanding and articulating biblical truth. There's, there's also priestly gifts. Abilities based on understanding and meeting basic needs. So if a prophetic gift represents God to the world um, in terms of speaking boldly and clearly, priestly gifts represent God to the world by being sympathetic and sacrificial. And, and remember, think of these as like concentric circles. It's not that like one cluster doesn't ever overlap into another cluster. But examples of prophetic, or excuse me, pre priestly gifts would be Encouragement, which has to do with motivating and counseling people. That's in Ephesians 4. Helping, Paul says that in verse 28. Helping, the ability to give true assistance without taking over the whole thing, right? That's what helping does. Healing, verse 28. Facilitating physical, emotional, or mental healing. Pastoring, that's in Ephesians 4. Knowing and providing what a person needs to grow. That's what pastors do. Sharing, Romans 12, refreshing others by giving, a, giving caring, sacrificial service. Mercy, Romans 12, 8, which is ministry through deep, joyful empathy. You see the difference. There's the prophetic cluster, the priestly cluster, and then there's kingly gifts. 
kingly gifts or abilities based on understanding direction and vision. Understanding direction and vision for a church or a ministry in God's kingdom. And kingly gifts represent God's vision for the world and tend to be marked by wisdom and practicality. So as you hear me talk about that, these, you might be thinking, oh yeah, I like practicality. Well, it's likely that if you like practicality, you're not a pastor <laughs> and you have kingly gifts. If you like, oh, I like articulate, clear, th- you're probably a, a prophetic gift. If you, if you just want to help other people and pray for people, etc., you probably have a priestly gift. So what are some of the kingly gifts? Well, biblical example of those are, are the gift of leadership, Romans 12, 8, uniting people towards a common goal. 1 Corinthians 12, 28, administration. Thank God for you who have the gift of administration. The less, least appreciated and most important gift in most local churches. Administration, the ability to organize a task and get it done. That's a spiritual gift. Wisdom, 1 Corinthians 12, 8. You can think about that as problem solving for groups and individuals. Faith, 1 Corinthians 12, 9. That, that doesn't mean saving faith. That means the ability to see the future God is calling you to boldly and lead others toward it. So, so most of us have clusters of gifts and, and might lean more towards one of the three big headings. Sometimes someone will have both kingly and prophetic gifts. These are the, you know, the ten talent people. Sometimes people will have priestly and prophetic gifts. The point is we all have an almost unique matrix of gifts. We all have different gifts, and they're also sort of in different constellations. They have different levels of power and different levels of effectiveness, which is why Paul says in verse 6, there's a variety of activities, there's a variety of service, there's a variety of gifts. In other words, there's different gifts, and some people have a greater, say, teaching or healing gift than other people do. But the point is, all of you have been given different gifts for the betterment of Jesus' one global church. It's also true that our gifts will sometimes, you know, overlap with our natural talents and abilities. Like if you're a good businessman or, or businesswoman and, and God saves you, it's possible that he will also give you kingly gifts that match with what you do for a living. That sometimes happens. It's also sometimes true that you could hate public speaking with like an ungodly passion and then God saves you and you become a teacher or a preacher. Either one of those is possible. It also sometimes depends on our family of origin and on our own stories. And on top of all of this, we all have different seasons in our lives, don't we? Or the context in which we live call the gifts out of us in different ways. So with all of these variables and the diversity of gifts, don't miss this main point. Each person's ministry may be as unique as a fingerprint. Your ministry is unique. And I hope you can see the implication. Just in case you can't see it, I'm going to say it out loud. Here's the implication. There are some things in this church that only you can do. There are some people to reach that only you can reach. Your gifts are uniquely necessary and needed in this particular place and time. As God has sovereignly called us together, no one can do 
all that is needed. No one can care for all that need care. No one can minister to all that need ministry. I can't even come close to doing that. Kevin comes closer to doing that than I do, but Kevin can't come close to doing that either. No one person can do all of it. Just to maybe kind of put some flesh on this, I just want a little bit about my life, just as an example, because I know myself better than I know you. I, I can't even begin to adequate, adequately and, and effectively minister to, to all of you. Even now, I just, I don't have enough gifts. My gifts are, for the most part, prophetic gifts, teaching, exhortation, speaking, evangelism, with a little bit of kingly thrown in. And, and throughout my life, God has provided me opportunities and context to hone and develop these gifts as he's guided me since he saved me. But what does God do in my life? Just as one example, in all of his kindness, what does he do? He brings Marianne along who has different gifts and helps me. And we together serve the world better through our marriage. She's certainly more priestly than I am. She's also certainly more kingly than I am. She likely is more prophetic than I am as well. She's, she's also more discerning. She has the gift of knowledge of w- and wisdom, I think, whereas I'm more of a visionary, bold, faithful person than she is. And, and so we help each other. And then God brings people and leaders and elders into this particular church, just like he does in all different kinds of churches, who are better at me than me, who have gifts that I don't have. Gifts like administration and, and leadership and counseling and, and a discernment. And then he brings people like each one of you, who might be merciful people with big hearts, who might be hospitable, who might be problem solvers. Each of you can help and strengthen me in my areas of weakness, as I strengthen you in your areas of weakness. Every local church is like this huge melting pot of gifts, like a body full of different systems and parts, as Paul says, all working together to create health and life and holiness and happiness. So let me repeat to you again, you are needed. You are needed here in a unique way. God did not plant Christchurch because of Luke's gifts. God planted Christchurch because of our gifts together. You're needed here, and God has designed you and gifted you to make our church stronger, but you have to use your gifts. That's what the Holy Spirit is asking of you. So thirdly, as we wrap up, the discovery, the discovery of spiritual gifts. How do you discover what your gifts are? Some of you already know yours. Some of you might not. You know, if you're a younger Christian, if you're newer to church, if you're just like young in life, you might not know what you're gifted at. And and to be honest, there's remarkably little in the Bible about how gifts are, you know, quote, discovered. So I can't like point to a text and prescribe any steps for you to take or give you any one definitive survey that's going to answer it all for you. So let me just real quick say two things about how to discover your gifts, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. First, when I talk to people about how to discover your gifts, there's, there's usually three big words that intersect in order to help you discover your gifts. The first is affinity. When thinking about what your gifts are, ask, what do I like? It's not a bad question to ask. What do I enjoy doing? What is fun to me? What brings me life when I'm engaged in it? Affinity. A second big word is ability. What am I good at? What do I do well? 
What have others encouraged me to continue in? And then a third big word is opportunity. What is there an availability for me to do right now in the season of life that God has me in and in the church he's placed me in? Where those three things intersect, ability, affinity, and opportunity, you usually find your spiritual gift or gifts. Second, start with opportunity. Start with opportunity. In other words, the best way to find out what your gifts are is to just find the jobs in a church that need to be done and do them. Find the jobs in a church that need to be done and do them. Just serve. Don't ask too much initially about whether it fulfills you. We know setup doesn't fulfill you guys. You don't need to tell me that. I know takedown does not fulfill you and give you life. Just do it. (laughs) And as you do it, perhaps God shows you what your gifts are. The, The only way you'll ever really come to know the kind of ministry that you're best at is to do a lot of different things. Then you'll know which of those God blesses. So don't start with affinity or ability because there might be gifts that you don't discover until you begin doing something. One quick story, then we'll finish. When we first started a number of years ago, um, there's a guy that is still around, Patrick. Is Patrick here? Patrick's not here. Good. I can tell a story about him. So Patrick and Cassie were thinking about joining and being a part of Christ Church, and Patrick was kind of on the fence. I'm sure that shocks you, you know, Patrick well. He wasn't sure if he was ready to commit, and, and he and I sat down for coffee one day, and, and I, I said, hey, I'd love for y'all to be a part of the church. And, and Patrick said, well, how am I going to know if this is the place for me? He said something like that. And I said, why don't we do this? Why don't you take the next three months and just show up and, and serve. And, and the way Patrick served was by helping some of our musicians early on, like wire stuff and set up and, and just get ready for church, which in a church plant and in any church is pretty important. And so Patrick agreed to do that. And, and it's been eight years and he still does it. So that worked out well. Three months turned into eight years. And, and what happened, and I know Patrick would agree with this, is, is as he just took the opportunity that was available and began serving, God blossomed his spiritual gifts. He might have already known what some of them were, but they begin to manifest in really fresh ways. And it's been for the betterment of our entire church. Now I could tell a hundred stories about a hundred individuals with a similar tale. But the point is find a place where you can involve yourself, do it. And the Lord uses that to show you what you're gifted in and remind you that you are needed. So Let's back up and just conclude with kind of a a 30,000-foot view here. Looking at the big picture, there's two great gifts God has given us, his son and his spirit. Can we we together, as, as the people of God here at Christ Church, worship, love, and faithfully enjoy the Holy Spirit? What would it look like for us to be filled with the Spirit? What would it look like for this church to keep in step with and be led by the Spirit of God? For one, it would look like a well-designed and healthy body. Everyone serving and doing what God has asked them to do. Not for themselves, but first for others. Isn't that a lot like someone we know? Someone who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What better shows This world, the beauty of Jesus' sacrificial love for sinners, 
than when broken people like us give of ourselves. When we remember and believe that we are sons and daughters of the king, that we're a part of the great kingdom of our world, the kingdom of God, and that each of us individually is cared for so deeply by our father that he has poured out into our lives specific gifts that he wants us to use together to overcome evil, to fulfill our purpose, to glorify God, and to cause even our own lives to flourish. I hope that's something you want to be a part of. God is at work here doing that. You're needed for that work to continue. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, let's pray.